I can't tell if y'all are excited because of the masks. I'm going to say this every time I preach. This is weird. Uh, We've got a few people in the room. We've got people watching at home. I'm ready for the days of a full church again. Anybody with me? Uh, I was telling, uh, we met with our group of leaders recently, and I was telling our leaders that uh, I, I can't tell when everybody's wearing a mask how you're responding to anything. Um, so here's, what, here's the exercise I want us to do at the very beginning. Could you all make the least angry eyes that you possibly could for me right now? Girls, least angry, oh, those are good. Ang- unangry eyes, I'm just looking around the room, very good, very good. Uh, it's really hard to read what's going on. It's weird not having a full room. It feels like there's like this, we got to generate some excitement and passion. Uh, and uh, the, here's the good news. Uh, God is here. He is with us. He is present. Uh, whether there are 10 of us in the room or whether there are 400 in the room, the passion, the excitement, the joy, the energy of pursuing him is available to us today. And it's really good. Uh, I got a couple real quick announcements, which are really fun, which should make you not have angry eyes. Uh, the first is this week, we uh, finally got our variance passed so that we can start building the park out here, which is really big news. Uh, and so for those of you who've been around for a really long time, you know our vision has always been to be a blessing to the community and to pour in and invest and care for the neighborhood around us. Uh, we were given this space and this amazing space, and we've got this kind of eyesore space out here. Uh, and so this week, uh, we painted the pavilion. There's work already started on the pavilion. That should be done in the next couple of weeks. And you'll start to see progress as the basketball courts are being built out there, as the park is being built, the playground equipment's brought in, all of those kinds of things, which is going to be really fun and actually really timely to have a nice outdoor space uh, here in the fall, which will be really fun for us to use as a church and for us to invite the community into. So we're really excited about all of those things. Uh, Another piece of business is... Um, we have in this room right here, there's this giant AC unit that's out in the back. I don't know if you've ever been in the back. Uh, the back of the church is always interesting to me. There's like a door that goes to nowhere. I don't know if you guys have all noticed that. If you drive around to the back of the church, there's a door on the wall that if you walked out that door, you would fall two stories and it would not be pleasant. Um, but there is, we've got a really old AC unit, and when I arrived here at the church about three years ago, one of the things that I realized right away, we did kind of an inspection of like all the facilities, and um, the amazing news is we were given a building. Uh, the, the bad news is it's an old building, and there's lots of things that were going on and lots of things that needed repaired, and so we started making a list of all the things that needed to be repaired And number one on that list, uh, the guy who did the inspection said to me, I don't know how your air conditioning is still working, right? Like, this should have gone out 10 years ago, and it's still working and still functioning. So we have reached the point where the AC unit, it's leaking. Um, There's all kinds of glitches and tricks and things that we have to do to make it work. Uh, And so we are going to be replacing that big, giant AC unit. And if you've seen it, you'll realize what a big deal it is. Um, It's a big project. It's an $80,000 project for us to take on. Um, Good news is we had been saving some money and putting money back so that we could do this. Um, The bad news is it cannot be done in seven days. So it's a longer project than seven days. So on September 27th, we're already naming it Hot Sunday. All right? So September 27th is going to be Hot Sunday. And so if you register to be a part of the service on September 27th, we want you to be here. It's going to be great.
but it's going to be hot, right? It'll be warm in here. There will be no AC. I don't know what that means for us. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's been, weather's been pretty nice recently, but, but it might be really hot and crazy. So September 27th is hot Sunday. After that, the good news is we'll have a brand new AC unit in here. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have been studying like air circulation and COVID and all of those things. There's this thing called MERVs. Uh, MERVs are apparently good. You want 15 of them, uh, and we're going to have those. So we're going to have the best uh, circulation of air that we can possibly have for COVID uh, in this space and in this room, and uh, it'll be nice to have uh, all the MERVs worked out uh, for those of you who are concerned about those kinds of things. Uh, one of our values as a church is that we do it together. And so that means that for us, Unity is, is a huge value, uh, and it's something that we hold as something that's really important to us. It's something that we care about. We care about diversity. We care about unity, and we want to do things together. We feel like something amazing happens when the church comes together and does something that they couldn't do alone. I think that's kind of the point of a church, is that we, as a local community, come together and give to the community in ways that we couldn't do, which the park is a great example of that. Uh, we, we, we raised money for about a year for the park to happen, and so many generous donors gave sacrificially so that they could make that happen. And all of us came together so that we could do something amazing. Uh, and, and in our world right now, it feels like it's hard to find unity. It feels like there is arguments and frustration all around us. It feels like it's hard for us to figure out what are our common points and and how do we do unity? And how do we do this together when we all have differing opinions? And it just feels difficult right now to walk into a space of unity. And so today, I wanted to spend some time talking about the posture of Jesus towards unity. Uh, Jesus was once approached by all the leaders of his time, and they came to him and they said, uh, Jesus, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? What do you think about uh, soldiers shedding blood in the temple? What do you think about the Tower of Siloam that fell? What do you think about this, this, and this? And they name all of these different things. It's like the CNN headlines, the Fox News headlines. I got to say both of them so that we don't get me mad. It's, it's the news lines of whatever uh, your news channel is that is coming out of the day. And, and Jesus approaches that and Jesus says, uh, I don't know but you should repent. I don't know. He doesn't give an answer. He doesn't say this is what they should do in the temple. He doesn't give all the policies and procedures and everything that should be walked through in the, in the laws. He doesn't talk about what happened with the tower falling and what they should think about. He pushes everything back to our personal posture and our personal repentance. He says, I don't know how to solve all the problems of the world right now, and that's not what I'm here to do. Actually, he probably does know, but he's not, it wasn't what he was there for, right? But what he says is, I know what I'm asking you to do, and I'm asking you to live a holy life. And so as your pastor today, I'm standing before you saying, I don't know how to fix the world right now. I don't know how to fix the political divide between Republicans and Democrats. I don't know how we calm it down a little bit entering into election season. I don't know how we dialogue on social media. I don't know all the answers to this, but for you, Grace Marietta, repent. Right? For us, there is a posture that we can carry there is a way that we can live. There is a way that we can do it together that both honors Jesus and speaks truth. 
There is a way that we can walk that walks in both grace and truth. And, and what we often do is we live on this kind of tightrope. You talk about a pendulum or, or, or whatever, but we live on this kind of tightrope that we're walking. And I don't know if you've ever tried to watch somebody like walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls or those kinds of things, the crazy people that do those kinds of things. This is the kind of tightrope that we're trying to walk. And it's a tightrope um, between kind of being nice Let's put being nice right here, or being tough. Have you ever felt like you're walking on that tightrope? Uh, it's, it's the tightrope between um, maybe caring for people. And getting things done. Now, those of you who lead people in your place of employment or in your workplace, you understand this tightrope really well, don't you? Like, this is a tough tightrope to walk because it feels like we're always walking this tightrope of, I've got to be nice, but I've also got to be tough. I've got to care for people, but I also want to get something done. I also want to accomplish something. You could say it this way, I want to live in grace, but I also want to live in truth. And it's difficult to walk that tightrope. And so we find ourselves, this is us. That's our mask. We've got masks on. Uh, we find ourselves walking this tightrope here and trying to figure out how do I live into this space. And sometimes what we think is we think the goal is balance. Like the goal is just I have to center myself. So the goal is I have to be somewhere in between Republican and Democrat. I have to be somewhere in between this opinion and this opinion. I have to critique this side and critique this side. I have to walk in both sides of, a, of this. And this is actually how we're trained to lead. Anybody who is ever trained to be a manager or trained to be a leader in any kind of context understands that these are the methods that we're trained in. We're, we're trained to do the sandwich method. Of, of telling people the truth. Are you guys familiar with this? Right? So, so what we do is we say, Todd, I really like that shirt. And I'm really grateful that you're here this morning, buddy. I, I, I love you, man. Um, I need your performance to be much better because you stink at this, this, and this. And also, you have a lovely wife who's really wonderful. And, I, and so what we, what we do is we, we sandwich, right? We, we, we say, here's a compliment, and then here's a challenge, and then here's a compliment. Have you, anybody been trying to do that? Right? Over and over again, this is what we're trained to do. That. The other thing that we're trained to do is this deposit and return thing. Uh, this is especially true when you're getting married. How many of you were taught when you got married that you have to make a certain amount of deposits before you make a return? Anybody, anybody taught that? It's actually really shady and weird. Um, but it's this idea of if I want Sarah to do something for me, then I have to do three things for her before I ask for her to do something for me, right? Uh, and and it's, this, it's this like deposit and return. It's like, I, it's like we put these things in a, in a bucket and I, make, I do a certain amount of nice things so that I can ask the tough thing, right? So I make dinner one night and I bring home flowers and I tell her how beautiful she is, and I write her a poem, and I sing her a song, and then I say, can I watch football with the guys tomorrow night? <laughs> right? This is actually how we're taught 
to manage this. We're taught to live on this tightrope of challenges over and over and over again. And I believe that there's a better way. I believe that there's a different way because I think what happens oftentimes is we use our niceness to coerce getting something done. It actually becomes manipulative. I'm trying to manipulate my way to get something. I'm trying to con Sarah into letting me go to the football game versus just loving my spouse for who she is. Jesus managed this incredibly well. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. Uh, And in 1 John chapter 1, we see this model of Jesus being full of grace and truth. Can we get that verse up on the screen, guys? Uh, So 1 John chapter 1, verse 14 And what we see here, if I can turn this page. Here's what I'm going to read it over here. It says, and the word became flesh and the word dwelt among us. And we have seen it. It's not 1 John, it's John. John 1. That's why I was having all the problems right there. Your pastor is struggling right now. It's, uh, It's COVID and we're all going to be okay. John chapter 1, verse 14 through 7, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this is huge and significant. John is trying to describe who Jesus is, and Jesus is the word that has become flesh. He is a picture of the Father. He is the Son of the living God. And then it says he is full of grace and truth. It doesn't say he's able to use grace and truth. It doesn't say he bounces back and forth between grace and truth. It doesn't say he's pretty good at grace and really good at truth. It says he is full. He is filled up to the top with grace and truth, which means his posture is always a posture of both grace and truth, which means everything that Jesus said was full of both grace and truth. His grace was never absent of truth, and his truth was never absent of grace. He was full of it. It was a posture that he inhabited. If Jesus is the picture of humanity, if he's the picture of what God is like, then he is a picture of the fullness of how we're to live as followers of God. And so the fullness of that is that we embrace the same postures that Jesus did, which means we get off the tightrope of trying to use niceness to get things done, or trying to use grace to get to truth, or trying to 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 truth somebody into something, but giving them a little grace along the way by peppering that in. And we step into a posture that says, I believe that there's a way that I can communicate that is both full of grace and full of truth. But it's a lot harder to do that, isn't it? It's a lot harder to walk into that space. Can we get that verse back up there? Because it goes on to say something really significant. It says, uh, John bore witness to this and cried out, this was him who I said, he came out of the ranks before me because he was before me, but for him, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Listen to this, this is really significant. Think about God's people reading this, people who had grown up with the law, people who had experienced the law in every way, people whose lives had been dictated by the rule of life and the law. He says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. 
Jesus is actually modeling a new way to live. He's actually showing us a new posture. He's actually inviting us into a space that moves away from the binary of right and wrong, and, and I, gotta, I gotta say the truth all the time, and I gotta get grace out there, and I gotta pepper these things in here, and I gotta get on this tightrope to a new space where he is full of grace and truth. Now, in the room right now, there are some of us who are really good at grace and really bad at truth. Usually if you're a peacemaker of any sort, this is, this is where you're at. Middle children usually land in this space. You're really good at grace and really bad at truth. So you're able to love people, to care for people, to serve people, to walk with people, but saying the hard thing is really hard for you. Communicating that last challenge is really difficult for you. And so for you, it's much easier to walk in grace and to love people and care for people than it is to actually speak the truth when the truth needs to come. And there are moments as followers of Christ where we are called to be his ambassadors. Which What, an, what does an ambassador do? An ambassador speaks for the government. right? There are moments when we are called to speak for the government of heaven. There are moments when we're called to speak for the ruling authorities in heaven. And in those moments, there are times when we have to communicate truth. And we have to say what's real. Uh, one of my mentors always said, a lot of leaders are great at communicating 90% of the truth, but we leave 10% on the table. Have you ever been in a conversation and you're wanting to say the whole truth to somebody and you just can't get the last 10% out? Real leaders say the last 10%. Real leaders get it all on the table. Real leaders know how to manage both grace and truth. The other side of this is you're really good at truth, right? Uh, if, if you're an Enneagram 8, this is you, right? You are really good at truth. You're really good at declaring what is true and what is right and what is good and what is holy and you're opinionated and you're strong and you're set in your ways and you're really good at saying this is the truth, and I can communicate this in every situation. I'm able to say those kinds of things, but what you often miss is being able to be full of grace in those situations as well. Uh, when I was a young leader, uh, I, I was promoted way beyond my capacity. I was working at a big church in Kentucky. Uh, I was handed an assignment that was far beyond what any rational person would give a 27-year-old man, especially me as a 27-year-old man. And I had all of these people reporting to me and was doing this huge job. And one of my bosses came to me and he said this to me. He said, Ben, I love you, which is the sand. He's sandwiching me, right? That's what he's doing. I love you. You're great at this and this and this. He said, uh, here's the thing, whenever I tell you to do something, I am 100% sure you will get it done. The problem is there's a wake of bodies in the way. So you get things done at the cost of people. And I need you to learn how to get things done with people. A lot of times when we are so full of truth, we want to get our opinions out there. We want to get something done. We want to make sure that we're heard. And when we do that, what happens is we damage our relationships with others in the process. Jesus was both full of grace and truth. So let's do a little grid here. I love these things. This is high grace. This is high truth. This is low grace. And this is low truth. 
And we've got these little quadrants that help us kind of get out of the binary thinking of some of these things. So what happens oftentimes is we have these shadow cultures that are not full of grace and truth. This is where we want to be. We want to be in this culture that is full of grace and full of truth. But oftentimes what happens is we have these shadow cultures. So we have cultures that are cultures of truth without grace. You can experience this in the workplace. Has anybody ever worked for a boss that was really good at truth and really bad at grace? A few of you? I have. Uh, This can happen in churches. Has anybody been a part of a church that was really good at proclaiming the truth, but really bad at walking in grace? The opposite is true also. We've got workplaces where they're really good at grace, but really bad at truth. There's churches that are really good at grace, but really bad at truth. At, At grace, we want to be rooted renegades, which means we want to be renegade enough that we're showing grace over and over again, but we want to be rooted enough in the word of God and in the community of God that we're, we're preaching the truth over and over and over again. That's a huge value for us. So what happens is when we have truth without grace, what we create is we create a call-out culture. We become really good, and let's just speak specifically to the church, Okay. We become really good at calling out everyone else that is not living into the same truth that we are, right? So if there's a part of our culture that's not living in the way that we want it to, we fight the culture wars and we battle it out and we call a spade a spade and we speak truth to that and we speak truth to power and we step into that space. Uh, If there is uh, a situation in the church We don't so much care about caring for people. We care about holding up the value of the truth and the value of the word of God. And so we've got to deal with people with strength and with power and with authority. And we've got to step into those spaces. And what it creates is it creates a culture where we're always throwing rocks at glass houses. Where we're always calling out everything that happens. Now the opposite side of that is if you have a culture that is grace without truth. And what you create there is you create a hangout culture. Everybody's happy. Everybody's hanging out. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's enjoying themselves. But we're not getting anything done. Right? I've been a part of both of these types of communities. Right? Uh, if you've got, a, uh, if you've got a, a low truth, low grace culture, this quadrant on these grids is always the bad quadrant, guys. It's always the... You all seem to have angry eyes right now. Uh, This is is the checkout culture. We're just checked out. I I don't know about you guys, but in the culture wars that are going on in our culture right now, in the battle for unity, in the things that are going on, in the discussions on social media, there are a lot of times when I'm just like, I'm done. I I don't want to show grace for anybody right now, and I don't actually want to speak truth to anybody right now. I'm just checking out. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to withhold my energy for myself. Uh, So we create these shadow cultures. And the culture that we actually want to be a part of is what we call a call-in culture. It's a culture where we are calling each other in to the fullness of what God wants for every single one of us. We're inviting each other into a deeper space, into truth, and into grace. And so we invite people deeper into experiencing the fullness of the grace of God, but we also invite people into a deeper place of experiencing the truth of God. 
So we are simultaneously inviting people to root themselves in the word and to understand the truth of what God's word says as we also invite them to experience the grace and the goodness and the mercy that God has offered them over and over and over again. And we want to model this in every way that we live. We want to call people in. Now, a lot of this has to do with what I do with my power. Right? So think about this in terms of leaders. How leaders lead, how we exert our power, how we exert our energy, and what happens when I create a call-out culture. If you've ever been a part of that kind of culture, what you see is the leader in that culture overpowers everyone. There's not room for debate. There's not room for discussion. Whatever I say goes, there's this kind of power structure that's built where, it, where the leader, what they'll do is they'll use their power to overpower others. Uh, what happens in um, a hangout culture is you actually disempower others because you don't ever invite them into anything. And so because you're just caring for them and loving them, but you're never calling them to anything, you're never inviting them to live a specific way, you're never asking them to change, you're never inviting them to repent, you're never inviting them to look at the world differently, so we just disempower everybody in that space. What we do in checkout is we withhold our power. So I'm so exhausted with the culture wars, I'm so tired of everybody fighting, I'm so tired of engaging in all of these things that I'm just gonna withhold my power to myself and I'm not gonna engage in anything. I'm just gonna stick my head in the sand and be safe. And what we do in a call-in culture is we actually empower people, which around grace, what we call that is discipleship. We disciple others. We disciple them in how do we live in grace and how do we offer grace to the world around us, but also how do we live in truth and how do we know the word and understand it, but also how do we live in the posture of Jesus, which is both full of grace and truth. Moses taught us the law. Jesus teaches us what? It's the masks, I'm going to assume. It's the masks that they're causing... Um, and, and here's the thing. This is not a technique that we use to get things done. This isn't a technique that I use as a boss to try and push the energy forward in the room. It's not a technique that I use because I want to get something done. It's not a deposit and a return or a sandwich method. This is the model of how Jesus lived. Jesus always called everyone in to a relationship with himself and a relationship with the Father. He didn't abandon the word of God. He offered grace over and over and over again. And he showed this model of what empowerment and discipleship looked like. So much so that within 3,000 years after Jesus' death, Christianity went from this ragtag bunch of a few people to being the national religion of the world at that time with Constantine in charge. There was this crazy, crazy growth because Jesus knew how to empower his leaders in such a way, teaching them and training them how to be ambassadors, that he created this red-hot center at the center of the movement where the disciples and the apostles went off and did amazing and incredible things because Jesus taught them how to practice what they received. This is the challenge for us. 
The challenge for us is not understanding this, right? We all, I'm hoping, we all comprehend this. The challenge is, how do I do this when my neighbors are standing in the, in the cul-de-sac and one of them is banging a drum for this political party and the other is banging a drum for this political party and all I want to do is go hide and watch football? Football's starting today, guys. Can you tell I'm all excited about that? Uh, I, uh, that that's all I want to do, right? Is I just want to, I want to check out. Or this guy's banging this drum and this guy's banging this drum and I've got my own drum that I want to bang because I'm fired up about something today, right? I've jumped on the, the outrage machine that's morning, that morning and I saw something on the news or on social media or somewhere that's fired me up because it's unjust, because it's untrue, because it's broken, because whatever. And so I want to figure out how do I get my opinions out there. So this is great for us to comprehend, but what we're called to is not just to comprehend it, we're called to practice it. Which I will say, doing this is much harder than jumping on the outrage machine every day, right? Doing this, and by the way, a fruit of the Spirit is not outrage. Just throwing that out there, right? There's a lot of fruits of the Spirit, patience, gentleness, kindness. None of them are social media posts, right? It's just not on there, and so we need to learn to practice what we receive. We learn to look to the Father, And we learn to receive grace, and we learn to receive truth, Um, which means we have to be able to receive this from others as well. One of the great signs of spiritual maturity for me is not just can I lead people in this, it's can I be led in this. So uh, this week... I, I just had this recognition, and I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit. I think my wife helped me a little bit. She helps me with my recognitions. Uh, but, but I just, I've been cranky for like three weeks. I don't know if any of you guys are just feeling pressure of COVID and feeling irritated and frustrated and thin emotionally. And um, for me, it just comes out as impatience. And so I noticed it with my kids. I've just been dealing with them impatiently. I've been cranky with them. I notice it with Sarah. Unfortunately, the, the, the people we love the most get the worst of us, right? And, and so I've noticed this thing that's going on, and I noticed that in the car I was driving, and some guy cut me off, and I was like, I never get mad in the car. I had this, like, disproportionate response of, like, anger and frustration of, like, I wanted to honk the horn road rage at this guy. And I don't know. I just noticed that I was really emotionally thin in this. And so the question for me is not, do I comprehend this? It's, can I actually practice this? And so when I'm emotionally thin, when I'm cranky, and when I'm frustrated, and when I'm tired, and when all I want to do is just withhold energy, anybody feeling like checkout is all you want to do these days? Like, I just want to play video games, or watch football, or take a nap, read a book. Something that makes me not have to deal with other people's emails. Uh, when those things are happening, I have to just go to the Father and say, all right, Lord, here's what I recognize. I recognize that you are the source of wisdom. I recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you. I recognize that you are present and at work right now and in this moment, 
and that you actually want to guide me today in how do I live in both grace and truth. And so I'm surrendering to you my crankiness. I'm surrendering to you my frustrations. I'm surrendering to you my desire to be right. I'm surrendering to you my desire to be loved and liked that makes me not want to speak the truth. I'm surrendering all of these things to you, and I'm asking you to give me an imagination of how do I lead right now. One of the best pieces of advice any boss gives to their employees is this. If you get a nasty email, how long are you supposed to wait before you respond? I heard a lot of mumbling. Oh, you're supposed to wait, right? Not, don't respond immediately, right? If you get something nasty in your inbox, don't just fire something back. Because what, what the training in there is with management is if you have time to think about it, you'll be able to think through something that's clear and, and cohesive, right? For us, I, I just want to call us to that same kind of response, not because we need a little more time to think about it and come up with something on our own, but because we believe that the Holy Spirit is guiding us and directing us. So it's okay to say to a family member who's fired up about something, who's calling you on the phone, and to be able to say, you know what, I, let's talk about this in a couple days. I want some time to pray about that. Can I have some time to think about that? Can I have some time to take that and submit it to the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit how to guide me? It's okay to not respond to a Facebook post or an email immediately. It's okay when your neighbors are sitting and arguing back and forth to say, guys, I don't know, but I'm a believer and I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray about it and can we gather out here on the cul-de-sac in a few days and can we talk about it again? It's okay for us to step into all of those spaces. Um, but what happens is we get into this mode of fight or flight. Uh, our amygdala in our brain is triggered and when that happens, we immediately go to this space of, I have two options here. And my two options are, I duke it out, and I raise my fists, and I go to war. Or, I run away, and I hide, and I check out. And here's the thing. That when we live a contemplative life with the Holy Spirit guiding us every step along the way, we start to recognize our fight-or-flight mentalities. I start to recognize this triggered me, and now I want to fight. This triggered me, and now I want to hide. This set me off, and now I... We become more self-aware. The more aware of God and his presence we are in our life, the more aware of ourself we become. And the more aware of myself I become, the more I start to see the image of God in me. Right? And so there's this image bearer thing that's happening where I'm recognizing the image of God in himself and in me. John Calvin said, the only way we recognize the fullness of God is when we recognize the fullness of God in ourselves. So we start to recognize this pattern of God's image in me and through me. Um, there's this beautiful uh, psychological terms. Benjamin Bloom is a, is a psychologist, and he created this kind of graph and, and it's called the stages of learning. Um, I think we've got a grid for that that we can put up on the screen. Um, and here's what happens in the stages of learning. Let's illustrate this through my life a little bit. Um, I realized about a year ago that I was running at a pace that I couldn't sustain in my life. Maybe it was two years ago. Uh, you can ask some people in this room because I've been processing it with them. Uh, I've been working two jobs for a very long time. Uh, I've been running at a pace that's not sustainable. I've been coaching basketball and driving my children to everything imaginable. Um, and what I realized is I have to slow down. 
And so the first thing that happened was I became aware of this. I became aware of my need to slow down. I thought, hmm, slowing down seems like a good idea. It would be nice to slow down, right? There's just this awareness that came over me. And then I started to think about it. The next step is pondering, right? I started to think about, I started pondering it. I started thinking about it and saying, like, maybe I need to understand better what slowing down looks like. Maybe there's something at play here. Maybe I have some identity issues that make me always want to push and always want to run and always want to create. Maybe there's something here that needs to be sorted out with God that I need to walk through. Uh, And then I started to, to really carry the value of I need to slow down. Like, I have to slow down in my life. I'm convinced I need to slow down. But then there's this gap. And this is huge for us to understand in the church, guys. If we're going to understand transformation, if we're going to understand discipleship, if we're going to recognize how people change, we have to recognize the action behavior gap. Because what happens is my values have changed, but my life has not. Are you with me? Have you ever been in a place where you listened to a sermon, where you read some scripture, where you were convicted by the Spirit? You know that it's true, but you don't know how to live into it. This is what's going on here. There's a gap between our action and our behavior. And so I'm convinced that I need to slow down, but I don't want to slow down. Are you with me? I'm convinced that I need to rest, but I don't know where to find margin in my life. I'm convinced that I need to stop doing something, but I don't want to stop doing anything because I like the things that I'm doing. And I have to get to a point where I actually move beyond the action behavior gap and my values actually become lived values for me and not just cognitively ascended values that I believe in my head. I have to move to a place of reprioritization. And when I started to reprioritize, I started to set boundaries in my life. I started to say no to a lot of things that were hard for me to say no to. I stopped traveling as much. COVID has helped me with that a little bit, but I've stopped traveling as much. I have taken a Sabbath every week. I take either a full day or a half day every single week where I don't answer my phone, I don't respond to emails, and I don't work. Like, I don't even work in the yard. I'm like, I am not working at all. I am doing something for me that gives me rest. I'm stopping and I'm slowing down. I've started to to really evaluate my work-life management and say, all right, what is it in my work life that needs to be eliminated so that I can live to the fullest? Maybe working two full-time jobs is not a great idea, right? Maybe I need to shift some things here. Maybe there's things that need to be moved about, and maybe I need to lose some of the energy that I'm putting in my outside job and get more energy for what's happening here at Grace Marietta. And so we're working towards those things. And then the last thing is we own it. We actually start to say all of my decisions and all of my values are now based on this new value that I hold. I'm not, I don't think I'm there yet, to be truthful, on slowing down in my life. But I'm working to a place where I can get there, where I can say I own this value. And there's not a gap between understanding and living. And so here's the, here's the problem with a, with a sermon like this is you hear a sermon like this and you're like, yeah, that's great. I believe that. I'm good. Yeah, Jesus, full of grace and truth. I wish I could do that too. But there's an action behavior gap in between there. And that's what I want you to pay attention to over the coming months as a church. If we're going to be a united church, if we're going to do it together, if we're going to walk in grace and truth, 
then this needs to become a practice that we orient our lives around. And so here's what I want you to reflect on as we, you know what, let me tell you one more thing. I want to tell you my pattern of this so that you guys can, maybe this will help you give some clarity for your pattern. Um, My pattern when I lead is I'm a people pleaser and I want to be liked. And so I'm really good at being hangout bin. And I can hang out and have fun and I can be fun bin and we can all have a good time together. So let's imagine uh, I'm assigned a project to lead at work and, and I'm over here and I'm working with a team and I want the team to like me and I am just communicating and having fun and having a good time. So I start off and hang out, but then what happens is I realize we're not getting anything done, right? It's, this has been fun, but we're not accomplishing anything. And so what I do is I make an abrupt run right here to like the far corner of call out. And I'm like, I move from fun bin to angry bin, right? And I move from a place of like, this is, we're just hanging out, we're just having fun, to a place of we got to get stuff done, right? The kingdom is at stake. There's Salvation is up on the lines. Why are you guys standing around? And everybody's looking at me like, well, I thought we were just hanging out. I don't, what happened to fun bin? And then that doesn't work. And so then I bounce all the way over here. And I'm just like, I, these people are awful. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of pastoring. I'm tired of, I'm so frustrated. I'm just going to read books. I like reading books. I'm just going to hole up in my office and preach a sermon every Sunday, and I'm not going to deal with all the stuff that's going on here. This is a broken pattern of living, guys. And when I live in this pattern, I am not living in grace and truth. And I would suggest that every single person that's listening, we have a pattern that we live into. There is a way that you bounce back and forth between these three quadrants that is dysfunctional and broken and it hurts you and it hurts the people you lead and it hurts your family. And I think right now, between now and November when an election happens, I think the church actually has the opportunity to model a different way. I wanna model a way where we stand up for things that are true. I wanna model a way that says, We believe that life is valuable to the core. And we are a pro-life church, but that pro-life is womb to the tomb. It's from the beginning of life to the end of life. It's not just about abortion, it's about everything. I wanna say we're gonna stand for the truth that racial injustice is wrong and untrue. And I don't care how you politicize it or how it's talked about, racial injustice is wrong. And we're gonna hurt with our brothers and sisters of color and we're gonna stand with them and we're gonna love them and we're gonna serve them and we're gonna speak for them and we're gonna stand up for them and we don't care what the cost of that is. We're gonna stand on those truths, but we're also gonna live in a place of grace where we say, listen, I understand that everybody's being influenced by words and phrases and things from all over the world. And if we want to have a dialogue about it, if you really want to come to the table and talk about these things, then the table is open and let's discuss. Like one of the phrases I've been using over and over again with people over the last few months is this, I don't know how to deal with this over email. I don't know how to have this conversation over text. If you want to come and sit at my table and discuss, the table's open. And I will listen, and I will try and understand, and I will try and see your point of view, but I will also communicate mine. 
We cannot allow the church to be taken hostage by a political party. And I don't care if that's Democrats or Republicans, guys. I have 100% embraced the idea that my politics are the Sermon on the Mount. That what I stand on, when I stand on my political views, you want to know what I believe about politics? I believe in grace and truth. I believe that a better world exists. I believe that God has shown us the way to live and that it's good and that it's pure and that it's right. And it's not just the best way for us, it's the best way for the world. And I believe that we have an opportunity to live out grace. I am so grateful that there is grace. Like, I get to stand up here and teach every week, not because I'm good, not because I'm holy, not because I've earned something, but because of the grace of God who is good and affectionate and sees my brokenness and sees my wounds and offers mercy. I'm so thankful that when Jesus sees my sin, he offers the cross. And it's not a cross for me, it's a cross for him. My politics are grace and truth, guys. That's my politics. My politics are the Sermon on the Mount. And so I disagree with a ton of things the Democrats say. I could make a list of them, but I'd just make people mad. I disagree with a ton of things the Republicans say. I could make a list of them, but I'd just make people mad. But what I will stand on is this. What I will stand on is the word of God. What I will stand on is the inherent dignity of every single human being. What I will stand up for is when things are unjust, I need to speak out. And I need to proclaim the truth. The church needs to speak out and needs to proclaim the truth. But there is a way that we can proclaim the truth against injustice that is loving and that is kind and that is full of grace. And that's what I'm inviting you to. So we're going to take some time. And we've got communion. As you came in, you were given the juice and, and the bread. If you, if you are in the little cracker in the packet. Uh, if you didn't get it, there's some tables around the room that have that on it, and you can step up and grab some of that from there. But in the same way that we're asking people to come to the table and discuss, Jesus invites us to his table every single week. We take communion at this church every single Sunday because we believe in going to the table and remembering what Jesus did for us remembering that he modeled a way that was not the way of the law, but was the way of grace and truth. And so we thank him for that. And so as you take your communion today, I want you to just celebrate that. Thank Jesus for his grace and truth. And I want you to think and ask him. I want you to pray kind of a, Lord, see my heart. See me and know me. Is there an area of my life where I have been living way over here in call out culture and you wanna invite me to call in? Is there an area of my life where I've been living over here in hangout culture and you want to invite me to call in? Is there a conversation with somebody? Have I made somebody my enemy that I was never meant to make my enemy? And what does it look like for me to invite people to the table in the same way that Jesus invites us to the table? So Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would search our hearts and know us. I pray that you would reveal to us the areas of our life where we need to grow and change and be transformed. And I pray that you would teach us to be a community of both grace and truth, who's able to stand strong on your word, speak out against injustice, but is also able to offer grace and love and a posture of peace in a world that is broken. So we thank you, Lord that your Holy Spirit wants to lead us into this. 
that you want victory for, the, for us in this area of our life. And so I invite for you to change our hearts, to change our direction, and to teach us. It's in your holy name we pray.